This is recording number 10755 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the third message in the Purpose Behind the Passion series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 16, 2008. This message is titled, Unlocking the Shackles. We're going to continue our, our uh, study called The Purpose Behind the Passion. We're going to be talking about why Jesus came. He, he proclaimed on the, uh, in his hometown as he stood in the synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah a passage that had been a prophecy that had been given hundreds of years before and everyone recognized that it was about the Messiah and the Messiah's mission. On that day, Jesus stood up in the synagogue, read that passage that describes the passion of the Messiah, <laughs> the mission of the Messiah, the reason that the Messiah would come. And the people of Israel had placed all of their hopes on the coming of this one who would set everything right. And they knew that this oft-read and cherished passage from Isaiah had to do with this one they longed for. Jesus stood, read the passage, and then said, Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. And everyone there knew he was making the claim that he was the Messiah, the one who fulfilled these promises and one of them, one of those driving uh, passions of the Messiah's life and ministry, one of the things that propelled him to the cross and ultimately to the, to the resurrection was unlocking our shackles. So we're going to talk about that today. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21, is where Jesus stood in the synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to this uh, actor read the pertinent verses from that passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to give good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. These are the things that Jesus said were the reasons why he had come to pay the debt to restore what had been lost, to unlock the shackles, to lift the darkness, and to tear down the walls. We've already talked about the first two of these five things, paying the debt, restoring what has been lost today. We're going to talk about how the passion, the purpose behind the passion had to do with unlocking the shackles. Now we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 12, or, uh, chapter 2, excuse me, where I had asked you to turn earlier. Hebrews chapter 2. Two verses this morning, verse 14 and verse 15. Follow along as I read. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, the children are you and me. Inasmuch then as we have partaken of flesh and blood, that simply means that you and I are human. We have skin 
that covers our bodies. We have blood that flows in our veins. We are human. Because that's true, it says, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same. Because you and I are flesh and blood. God wrapped himself, clothed himself in flesh and blood too, in the person of Jesus Christ. I was praying this morning, and uh, I don't say that to, to kind of sound, you know, holy or, you know, some kind of um, mystic or anything like that. It's just that I've figured out that I really cannot survive in this life if I don't have a regular time of connecting with God. So, you know, it's, it's, there's no, no choice in it for me. <laughs> so I was up this morning and, and, and praying, and I was just thinking about the awesomeness of God. The first things I, I didn't, con- I don't contemplate, you know, I don't have like a, a script that I go through and I'm praying. And so I, I just opened my mouth and the things I heard myself saying were about God's greatness. I was, I was worshiping him. I was praising him for his greatness. And the first thought that came to my mind was that God, I said, God, I worship you for your, um, for your eternality. You have always been and always will be. And then I thought, always have been? Whoa, I can't even, I, I cannot get my mind to get a hold of that. I cannot get a hold of that concept. That I worship a God who has always been. That just blows every circuit in my brain. But the next things I started to say was, God, I believe that though. <laughs> I believe that. And then I started to say, Lord, I'm so thankful that you came because otherwise I would have no way to relate to you you are so great so vast so immense in every description that I could I would have no way to to have any sort of relationship with you at all except you came in Jesus I I can see you in Jesus we were able to, to touch you, to hear your voice. And so anyway, he says here, because we have all been, are all flesh and blood, that's why he came. He came to demonstrate his nearness to us and his availability to us. And that through death, he might, and he's talking about his own death, the death of the Savior on the cross, That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. This is the gospel right here in its nutshell. We've talked about it before. The gospel is simply the good news. The good news that we are not uh, stuck in that place of lostness. As a race, we chose to pursue um, life apart from the dominion or rule or relationship with God and as a result we have inherited a death and we're going to talk about that more but we are not uh, sentenced to that uh, without hope because Jesus came to do this to destroy the one who had the power of death that is the devil hallelujah for that that probably would be, even though it's a foreign language, it probably would be a good thing for all of us to say right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 15 is where we're going to, to really land this morning. Not only had he come to, I mean, 
in addition to the concept of him coming and destroying him who had the, the power of death over us, it says, and release those, release those who through fear of death have all their lifetime been subject to bondage. Verse 15 again, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, <clears throat> I said at the top that a lot of us know what it's like to feel shackled. A lot of us know what it's like to feel like every day we're struggling against something we just can't break free of. Likely, you would have given it another name than the one we encounter here, which I'll describe in a minute. You likely might think that you are struggling against, you know, bad parents. <laughs> you are struggling against the system. You are struggling against the economy. You're struggling against the man, whatever that is. You're struggling against bad decisions or choices that you've made in the past and you're reaping the consequences. You, you could have, you might, get, certainly you would have another name for that sense of being tied down and, and, and stopped from being able to really realize the things that you long for and hope for in life. You would probably give it another name. But here the Bible names it the fear of death. It's crystal clear. The writer of the book of Hebrews says that our, we are in bondage through our, our whole lives by the fear of death. I want to talk to you about that, what that means. Because at first glance, it just seems kind of odd. Why would that be? Because I know the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of that is, well, I... Yeah, I have, I have a healthy fear of, of not dying, and that kind of keeps me alive, you know, keeps me from doing foolish and stupid things. And yeah, that's, that's God-given. All of us ought to have a healthy fear of, of doing something that ends our life prematurely. But that's not what we're talking about, so hold on with me. The first thing I want to, to uh, point your attention to this morning on this subject is that there's more than one way to live. And in fact, in the New Testament, there are three, well, primarily, three Greek words that are translated in, by the English word life. And I'm going to use those three as, a, as an illustration of what I'm describing, that there's more than one way to live. One of those words is vios, or bios, biology. And it has to do with physical life. It has to do with the mechanics that keep all my organs functioning and, you know, all of that. Keeps the, my lungs taking in air and my blood coursing through my veins. It's physical life. There's another word, and that's suke. Another Greek word, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm saying that because the New Testament was originally... Um, the New Testament was originally written in the book or in the uh, language of ancient Greek, and so uh, that's why I referred to it. I didn't just pull that language out of the air here. So, but suke is a word that's translated in our English Bibles as life, and most of the time it refers to individual life. That, 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 and what I mean by that is 
the, the kind of life that separates you from someone else, your personality, your individuality, your uh, talents and gifts and tendencies that are different than other people. It's what makes you, you. Eileen's life is unique and different than anyone else's, from anyone else's in this room. Thank God. We all have a unique life to live. Suke. And it refers to, in large part, to the emotional soul life. The life of the soul. Bios refers to biology. Suke refers to your intellect, your emotions, your will. The life of the soul. And, and how many of you, this you could raise your hand for, how many of you know that that's different than just your lungs pumping air through your through them yeah now the third word that we encounter in the Greek New Testament translated into our English Bibles as life is zoe and it has to do with the life of the spirit spiritual life the life that God breathed into man's nostrils on the day of his creation the Bible says he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul or a living being the something of God's order of life was transmitted and available to us. Spiritual life. Okay, so there's more than one way to live. Consequently, there's more than one way to die. So when the Bible refers to death, it, uh, it's not just talking about one type of dying, bios, or the, the death of bios life, that you, you know, you stop breathing, the blood, blood stops pumping through your veins, they dig a ditch and throw you in it. You know, that's one way to die. <laughs> Cessation of bodily functions. There's another way to die. The suke part of your life can die. Loss of individuality. We, a lot of us understand that. We know what it's like to sort of lose yourself. Your sense of who you are. To feel like, you know, you don't matter, or you don't count, or, or you're just one of the nameless, faceless six billion people on this planet. We know what it's like to be in search of ourselves and really trying to figure out, what am I doing here? Why do I matter? What is different about my life? What is my destiny? We understand what it is to die emotionally, too. Where the reasons that we live, the things that keep us motivated, are suddenly gone. And we, we, we think to ourselves, you know, and, you know, it's kind of scary when it happens, but everyone in this room has thought, well, why should I go on living? We've had times like that, haven't we? Loss of individuality. Suke. There's also a kind of death that is spiritual. Separation from the life of God. Now, in the Garden of Eden, when God breathed into man's nostril the breath of life, or man's nostrils the breath of life, it was though we were plugged in to the source of spiritual life, and all of a sudden, we came alive. And at an order that we wouldn't have any other way. We weren't just, you know, um, amoebas, you know, that, that, that had some sort of biologic life to them. Suddenly we were living beings in direct connection with the God who made all that is. Now, God said to us, he said to our forefather Adam and, and, and uh, Eve, he said to them, now, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. This life that I've given you. 
and know only good, only good, know only good for all time and eternity. He said, but there is the potential for you to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't do it. Don't do that. Why do that? Know only good. Know only good. Know what I have created for you. Because if you choose to disobey me, if you choose to walk away from what I have intended for you and taste and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to come unplugged from the, my life. You're going to come unplugged from the life of God and you will die. Now Adam and Eve, they did, and all of us uh, as, par- as their children are under this uh, the actions of, of uh, under their actions, they chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they died. Not physically at first. <coughs> the death that was described when, G- when God said, eat of the tree, you'll die, was not a physical death. That came later. I mean, ultimately, it did take their lives. <coughs> but death kind of works from the inside out. Our spiritual life is what goes first as a result of sin. And as a race, we've been unplugged from the life of God. That's why Jesus came so that he could make a way for us to get plugged back in. Hallelujah. But death, that, uh, this kind of death that's being described in the Bible is that death that disconnects us from God. And everything that he intended for us is no longer available. So truly, when it says here that through our lifetimes we are subject to the fear of death, it's describing um, a fear or being afraid that everything God intended for us and for me is no longer available and I won't be able to get it. I won't be able to enjoy it. I won't be able to experience it. Now, my dad was one of those guys that, and I think I, uh, I get some of my, you know, excuse me, anal uh, tendencies <laughs> from him. Uh, he was the kind of guy that he had all the pegboard, all the garage, in the garage, you know, it was lined with pegboard, and there was a place for every tool. And he had the outlines of the tools marked on there. You've seen these kind of guys, right? So that when one of them is missing, you know which one it is. And... Uh, and I remember being lectured, there's a place for everything and everything in its place. And, uh, and so you could walk into his garage and easily scan what's missing. Right? I have a, a set of drill bits at home, it's a, and, and they, all of them fit. When I was given this set, they fit into a, a holder that's about a, probably a foot by 18 inches. And there's a place for every bit and every uh, saber saw blade and every keyhole saw bit. And all of this stuff is all laid out. It's, I, it was fabulous. I loved getting this, this gift and I use it a lot. But over the years, I've broken some bits and, 
And I've replaced some. And, you know, it's funny that the replacements don't really fit just right. So they, they'll fall out or the box or whatever. And, and some of them I just haven't bothered to replace or, you know, things I've broken I haven't gotten new ones for. And so there's missing spots on my thing. And sure enough, every time I have a job to do around the house or here at the church, I'll get out my thing. And the one bit or saw blade I need is the one that's missing, right? Sure enough. I remember one time when um, uh, Sue and I uh, were living in San Jose and we had a big wind and rainstorm and all this stuff and it blew our, one of our, blew our back fence down. A big section of our fence blew down. And it's funny how you feel so naked when your <laughs> fence is down. And I had this... It's missing! Something important is missing from my life! And I was, you know, as soon as there was, in fact, even while it was still raining, I was out there trying to figure out a way to get it back up. Because it was important, it was missing. Another time I remember I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And I've, I've told you before that I'm, I'm, the, I'm one of the world's most clumsiest people. In fact, one of my nicknames growing up in middle school, and you know middle school is cruel. And, you know, middle schoolers are cruel. Anyway, one of my nicknames was Grace, because I was the opposite of that. Another one was Red Butt, and I won't tell you why that was. That's another story. But uh, Anyway, I, so I'm, I'm one of the world's clumsiest people. And I, I was playing with some friends. We were playing baseball. So I'm up to bat like this, you know. And I, I don't know why, but I, I turned around. I don't know if to, to, to see something, to see the catcher or something. I turned around like this and smacked right into the baseball bat with my front teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and knocked out this tooth right here. I actually didn't knock it out. I, I knocked it and broke it in half. And I remember going home and looking at myself in the mirror and just being overcome with grief at the loss of my tooth. It was like... It's gone. Something very important was gone. And I had no way to get it back. I mean, I was so intent on finding, you know, getting my mom to take me to the dentist so we could figure out some way to to fix it. And you know what? It's never been quite right since. It's passable right now, this cap that I have on here. But over the years, you know, we've been trying different methodologies to... Because some of them are so thick, you know. So I I talk like that. It's kind of funny. (laughs) Some of them are miscolored, and right now it's it's in pretty favorable condition. I know, but we all can relate to what it's like when something important is gone and missing, and so we all understand what it's like to have a fear of not experiencing what's supposed to happen in life. A lot of us know what it's like to survey the condition of our, of our marriage and say, you know, this is not what I dreamed. Something's missing here. A lot of us know what it's like to go to work or you know, drag yourself out of bed and go to work every day and think, man, something's missing. Something's wrong with this picture. Something's not the way it's supposed to be. And that sense of angst, fear if you want to call it that, that something God intended for me 
I may never know. That is what chains us. And we keep working so hard to break out of that place and, and hopeful that someday we might be able to get past it. Gonna make it, gonna make it, gonna make it. And because somewhere in the depths of our soul is the vacancy, the place on the pegboard where the outline still remains of the things God intended for us. Somewhere in our souls we know that. And we know it's not there and we long for it. In fact, that to me is one of the is one of the primary proofs that there is a God. That something we never knew, never had, we long for. Why is that? Except that the one who made us made us for something. There's, and, and so we, we live with this. Now, some of the things that God, and these are just a list of, in no particular order and an absolutely incomplete list, but these are some of the things that the Bible tells us God intended for life to be like for us. When He intended at the beginning, when we were plugged into the life of God, these are the things that He intended for us. Some of them, just some of them. Love and acceptance. That every single day of your life, every moment of every day you live, every, every, with every breath you take, that you would know you are absolutely loved, absolutely accepted. That you never have to think twice about, do they really? What do they think? That you would always, every moment of every day, know that you are absolutely secure in the love of your maker. That was God's intentions for us. Another one of them was significance. Significance. That my life matters. That my life matters. That there's a transcendent value to my being and to my life. Something important about me. The role that I play in the grand scheme of God's uh, eternal intentions that no one else fulfills. My life matters. God intended for, for us to know significance. He intended for us to know success. And I'm not, you know this, I am not one of these guys that say that, you know, that says uh, faith in God equals Rolls Royce. I'm not one of those guys. But I can tell you on the basis of having lived my whole life studying this book that it's clear that God intended for us to know success. And that means that what I do, the things I do, I do well. Everybody wants that. If you're a mom, you want to know that you are the best mom in the world. You want to get those cards at the, on Mother's Day that says you're the best mom in the world and know that it really means it or that, that they really mean it and that it's really true about you. If you're a dentist, you want to know you're the best tooth driller in the world. If you're a student, you want to know that you are the top of the class. Whatever it is that you do, you, wanna, you want to know that you do it well. And God wants for us to have that. He intended for us to be 
to live every day of our lives knowing that the things I do, I do well. Wow. He also meant for us to enjoy prosperity. And again, I think God's definition of prosperity is a little different than some of the television preachers that you encounter. But nonetheless, it's clear from the Bible that God intended for us to know material blessing. Now, when is it that you have too much? I don't know where that, where that is and, you know, that... That where that line is and I don't really care. Somebody told me one time that God's definition of prosperity is that you have your needs met and enough left over to help someone else have their needs met too. Sounds good to me. But God intended for us to have, not to live lives impoverished, but to live lives of blessing and material prosperity. He intended that for us. Sadly, that thing, that Apart from God, prosperity often leads us away from Him. Sadly, that's true. But it was never God's intent that way. He intended for us to be blessed. The Bible in Proverbs says that God blesses us, God enriches us, and adds no sorrow to it. It's just here. Also, the Bible says clearly that God intended for us to know health and wholeness. Physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, health and wholeness. These are some of the things, just some of the things God intended for us to know. Some of those places on the pegboard are, uh, are supposed to be occupied in your life by these things. They go there. And we survey the pegboard and we see that, some of us see that those things, some of those things are missing. And we long for that. And it's that fear that we will live our whole lives and never know those things that keeps us struggling against those chains. In fact, those very those chains are the fear of not knowing what God intended for us. And we keep fighting against it and trying. And, try. and that, my friends, is a bondage. It's a prison. And Jesus came... Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 tells us, Jesus came, took on human flesh, died on a cruel cross, rose the third day to break those chains. Think this through with me. The fear of death. This is the bondage that results from the fear of death. These are the things God wants us to know. Here's how the fear of death pollutes them. We were designed to every day, every moment of every day, know we are loved and accepted. But because we don't, we say to ourselves, I, nobody loves me. Nobody likes me the way I am. I must become someone else. I've got to become someone that others will like. I've got to change this about me. I've got to change my appearance. I've got to change the way I talk. I've got to change the car I drive. Change where I live. I've got to change things about me so that I can get acceptance and love from other people. Don't we do that? Yep. And we find ourselves... Trying to work against those chains so that we can get something God wanted for us to know all along. Significance. We were designed to know that our lives matter and have transcendent value. But because we don't, because it's missing from, from, that, from the pegboard, what we do is we'll vow that we have to have some sort of cause. Now, thank God, there's, there's wonderful people doing wonderful works in the names of all sorts of causes. But... A lot of those people are involved in saving the whales, saving the planet, feeding the hungry, taking care of AIDS victims for the wrong reasons. 
They're trying desperately to find the significance that God wanted for them to have. And it's only a counterfeit. And the devil, trust me, even though good things are being done, the devil is very happy to keep someone in that prison of always trying to find a way to be significant. We were intended to know success, but because we don't feel like what we do is good, do we do well? Because we don't always feel just just this side of being, you know, good, a good parent, a good Christian, a good plumber. We keep working harder. I must try harder. It's a prison. It's a prison. God intended for us to know prosperity and and material blessing. But because um, we don't, we we determine, we vow, I must get more and I must preserve what I've got. So we struggle against that chain. It's a bondage. It's a prison. We were intended to know health and wellness, but because we don't, People will make the vow, I must find the secret. It's plum juice. (laughs) I mean, isn't it true that every other day there's some new thing? And you know people, in fact, you may be one of them. Every other day you're changing the course, right? Now it's, you know, free weights. Next it's Pilates. You know, the next day it's... Celeries, you know, I mean, our celery stocks. It's always something, and we are always, you know, I've got health, you know, I can. It's a prison. It's a prison. These are just some of the things. I'm hoping that you're getting the, the fact that we, all of us, to one degree or another, know what it is spiritually to be chained. Thank God Jesus came to. Release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Stand with me as we read from uh, the book of Colossians chapter 2. Read it aloud with me. Chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When he, when Jesus uh, cried out from the cross, it is partially done? No. It is finished. He wasn't kidding, my friend. And I just believe that today... The Lord wants to come by where you are right there and unlock some chains.